Bibles to Ezra chapter 8. Ezra chapter 8. And the message tonight is the church prepares herself for duty. The church prepares herself for duty. The prophet Samuel said to the house of Israel in 1 Samuel 7, 3, Prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you. At this time, Israel had mourned and the nation was sad for 20 years because the ark, which was, again, remember the ark was a symbol of God's presence among the people. Well, for 20 years, the ark had been put away like some old piece of unwanted furniture in the garage. And it seemed as if the Lord had abandoned his people. So Samuel stirred them up to do something by saying, hey, you guys, look, if you guys are really sorry for what you've done and you should do something about it. You see, it's so easy to sit back and complain about our problems and about our circumstances to God. And yet we don't do anything to change ourselves or the situation. We don't do what he requires of us. So let's begin now with verses 1 through 20 here in chapter 8. And the writer says, These are the heads of their father's houses. And this is the the genealogy of those who went up with me from Babylon in the reign of King Artaxerxes of the sons of Phinehas and Gershom. And we're not going to read all through those names there, but we'll pick up now in verse 15. It says, Now I gathered them, that is all of those that he mentioned by name in verses 1 through 14, Now I gathered them by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days. And I looked among the people and the priests and found none of the sons of Levi there. Then I sent for Eliezer, Ariel, Shemaiah, Elnathan, Jarib, Elnathan, Nathan, Zechariah, and Meshulam, leaders also for Jorib and Elnathan, men of understanding. And I gave them a command for Edo, the chief man at the place Casiphia. And I told them what they should say to Edo and his brethren, the Nithinim, at the place Casiphia, that they should bring us servants for the house of our God. Then, by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding of the sons of Mahili, uh, or Mahili, uh, the son of Levi, the son of Israel, namely Sherebiah, with his sons and brothers, 18 men. And Hashabiah, and with him Jeshiah, of the sons of Merari, his brothers and their sons, 20 men, also of the Nethanim, whom David and the leaders had appointed for the service of the Levites, 220 Nethanim. All of them were designated by name. So in verses 1 through 20, we see the church here preparing herself for duty. The first thing she had to do was leave a degrading captivity, a shameful captivity. It says in in, in verses 1 through 14, beginning with verse 1, that these are the heads of their fathers, and this is the genealogy of those who went up with me. That is Ezra from Babylon. Ezra and his companions had to leave the place of their captivity which was Babylon, before they could carry the sacred vessels to Jerusalem. The church also has to get up and leave wicked Babylon. Babylon is a type of the world. And the church has to leave the wicked world before it can serve God in successful missions. Secondly, they prepared herself for duty by getting away to pray. In verse 15 and 21, that says, They gathered by the river that flows to Ahava, and we camped there three days. Now, this was a holy isolation, or I should say a holy separation. 
Okay, they got away to pray. This was a holy time, a holy separation. And it wasn't that they wanted to all isolate themselves or get away from men that they hated. It was a time where they could spend time with God without any distractions. <clears throat> it was also a prayerful separation, as I said, seeking God's guidance before leaving for Jerusalem. Third, the way they also prepared for, her, for the church to do the, uh, her duty was it was a thoughtful separation. It was a time to think. They counted the cost of the journey to Jerusalem. Am I ready? Do I have things in order? Can I finish the job? Am I in it to the end? And it's, a, it's just an important thing to understand because a lot of people, uh, they get involved in ministry. Uh, they haven't counted the cost. You know, it's something that they want to do. It's maybe an emotional excitement. And yet when, when, when things don't go their way and things don't turn out the way they would like them to, you know, they get upset. They quit. Because again, they didn't count the cost. During Jesus' earthly ministry, huge crowds followed Jesus. But here's the thing. Jesus wasn't impressed. <laughs> oh, look at the, how many people are following me. He wasn't impressed with their so-called enthusiasm. You know why? He knew what was in their hearts. He knew that most of them weren't really interested in him or spiritual things. Jesus said in John 6, 26, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and you were filled. Oh, you liked getting fed. That's why you were following me. Many of them were just curiosity seekers. They only wanted to see the miracles. Others heard that, hey, he feeds the hungry. And some of them hoped that he would overthrow the Roman government and set up David's promised kingdom. They were seeking the wrong things when it came to Jesus Christ. So what does Jesus do? He turns to the multitude and he preaches a sermon to them that was designed to thin out the crowd. He made it clear that when it comes to personal discipleship, He's more interested in quality than quantity. John 6, 66, he said, from that time, many, uh, or John said, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Jesus said this in Luke 14, 25 to 33, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down, notice, first, before he builds a tower, and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him and they say, this man began to build and was not able to finish. He said, or what king going to make war against another king does not sit down first, again, before going to war, and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is still a great way off, he sends a delegation and he asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Three times he stresses the point, if you, if you can't do these things, you can't be my disciple. When it comes to saving lost souls, Jesus wants his church to be filled. But when it comes to personal discipleship, he wants only those who are willing to pay the price. Not everyone 
is willing to pay the price. And not everyone, Jesus said in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, who call me Lord are going to get into the kingdom of heaven. He says, not everyone who says to me, notice everyone, that means a lot of people called him Lord. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he, notice, who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He says, and what he means by, hey, I I never knew you. He knows each one of us. But when he says, I never knew you, he's speaking about in, in terms of a personal relationship. Jesus said in John 6, 39, I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. And this is where we have to be in ministry and when we serve. I'm seeking the will of the Father. Jesus said, it says in Matthew 22, 25 through 39, then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. You see, if we have a right relationship with God, we're not going to have any problems with his commandments. John says his commandments are not burdensome. You see, love is the basis for obedience. And in fact, all of the law is summed up in love. If we love God, there's nothing that we won't do for him, regardless of of the situations and circumstances. Jesus seems to make a distinction between salvation and discipleship here. You see, salvation is open to anybody and all who want to come by faith. But discipleship, hey, this is for believers who are willing to pay a price. And there is a price to discipleship. Salvation means coming to the cross and trusting in Jesus Christ. While discipleship means carrying the cross and following Jesus Christ. Jesus wants as many sinners saved as possible. But he warns us, don't take discipleship lightly. And Jesus made it clear there is a price to pay. He said in Matthew twenty two fourteen, many are called, but few are chosen. Again, salvation is open to all because the Father's not willing that any should perish. But not everyone wants God. And many who say they want him, don't, they, they want him or they don't want him on his terms. They want to call the shots. To be his disciple, we must love Jesus Christ above everything and everyone else, even more than we love our own flesh and blood. We are to love everyone and everything less than we love the Lord. You see, our love for Jesus Christ must be so strong that all other love is like hatred in comparison. In fact, we must hate our own lives in comparison to living for Christ. And we must be willing to bear the cross after him. Another thing that we see in the church preparing herself for service, working, a working separation. We read that Ezra inspected the people and the priests. It says, but he didn't find any of the sons of Levi. So he sends for them. Then we see a friendly separation in her preparation for her duty, her service. All of heaven was with Ezra and his people by the river. This kind of separation can't fail to prepare the church for duty. Then we see also by the providential gift of talent, the church made herself ready for service. According to verse 18, talent is required to serve the Lord. Ezra looked at the people he had in his group. According to verse 15, he says, okay, let's see. Who do we have here who can get the job done? 
God requires skill in the work of his church. Leaders should see to it that the church has the necessary capability for the work that needs to be done. Secondly, talent is varied. Verse 15, notice what it says. It says that they had the people, there were the priests, and there were the Levites. The church needs different talents. The church needs different skills. From the lesser skills to the more technical skills. And the Levites were needed as well as the priests. But in this case, the talent is missing. Ezra said, I couldn't find any of the sons of Levi there. Among all of those who came back with him to Jerusalem, I couldn't find the Levites. Where were they? Zerubbabel faced a a similar problem. Over 4,000 priests returned with Zerubbabel to Jerusalem, but only 74 Levites were among all of those that came back. So think of it, 74 out of 4,000. You know, it was no different then than it is now. It's always a handful of people that get the work done. So Ezra's move back to Jerusalem was delayed while he waited to recruit Levites. God had called the Levites. He had given them a special service. And yet there weren't very many there who were willing to volunteer when their services were needed. And you know, God has gifted every one of you here tonight. Everyone who's born again, truly born again, God has given each one a gift. He's given you ability so that we can all make a contribution to one another and to the Lord's work. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 12, 4 through 8. He says, for as, we may, for as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. It, uh, or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives, gives with liberality, he who leads, lead with diligence, he who shows mercy, do it with cheerfulness. Peter said in First Peter 4.10, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. And he said, use them well to serve one another. Now, one thing that we don't do here, we don't ask people to come into ministry we see their gifts we pray for them we encourage them we help them we invest in them but we don't ask them to do anything it has to be a call of god because you see we don't want them to say yes because they felt pressure or, or, or obligation oh how could i say no you know pastor tony asked me or pastor joe asked me you know how could i say no yeah i i, I felt pressured you see, if you're not called, and if God doesn't put it on your heart, you're not going to enjoy ministry. And you won't stay committed. And the first time you get upset or things don't go your way, guess what? You're going to quit. But you have talents. You have gifts. Scripture tells So don't hinder and hold back your talents and hinder God's work by not offering your gifts. You know, it's really disheartening when there's so many things that we can do and so much that needs to be done, but we can't because there aren't many who are willing to step forward and use their talents for God. And those who can do the work and say they want to do the work, they're not chomping at the bit to do the work. But then there are those, thank God, who are willing to help 
whenever you need them. You give them that last minute call and say, hey man, can you, know, can, can you help out? And it's, there's a difference between helping and, and, serve, and calling up and, and being in ministry. You know, uh, there might be a, a seminar and we need people to, to help, you know, do certain things. And, and you know, it's, it's just for that day versus ministry and an ongoing, you know, thing that, that God's put on your heart to do. But, you know, uh, you know, th- those are the, they're the ones that will be here and, and say, hey, just tell me what time and what do you need? But again, each one of you has a gift. You know, and we're called to use it for one another. Paul said, again, as as good stewards of the manifold grace of God in 1 Peter 4.10. Paul said, it's required in service that one be found faithful. The word faithful means dependable. Are we dependable in the service of God? We also see that that talent talent is wanted in serving the church. Leaders should try to bring gifted people into the church. Verse 17, notice what it says. Ezra sent out the word, bring us servants for the house of God. So we pray for those servants. Like I said, we invest in them. We help them. We encourage them. And then there's talent that's obtained providentially. That is by God. We see in verse 18, it says, Then by the good hand of our God upon us, they brought us a man of understanding. So God prepares the church for duty in all of these ways. He also does it by the motivation of one devoted person. In this case, it was Ezra. It says, then I gathered them by the river in verse 15, Ezra spoke. What kind of man was Ezra? Well, in chapter 7, 6, it says he was a skilled scribe. In chapter 7, verse 10, it says he had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. You see, these are the kind of men and women who are able to prepare the church for duty because they have first prepared themselves. There's power in a sanctified life for the church. God is the sanctified individual. God uses the sanctified individual in the church. And then there's wisdom in that sanctified individual in the church. Here we see that it discovered the absent Levites. There's authority in a sanctified individual in the church. They send for the Levites and they came. Now let's look at verse 21 through 23. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. For I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us against the enemy on the road because we had spoken to the king saying, the hand of our God is upon all those for good who seek him. But his power and his wrath are against all those who forsake him. So we fasted and entreated our God for this and he answered our prayer. Ezra and his people, the people that were going with him, they were going to have to travel about 900 miles on foot to Jerusalem. The trip would take them through rough and dangerous territory. And it would take them about four months. So they prayed that God would give them a safe journey. Now, the journeys that we take in our Christian life, they might not be as hard and they might not be as dangerous as Ezra's. But we should recognize that we need to ask God for his guidance and for his protection. Now, before uh, before Ezra made all of the physical preparations for the journey... He made the spiritual preparations first. Their prayer and their fasting prepared them spiritually, showing they depended upon God to guide them and protect them, showing their faith that God was in control. 
and their acknowledgement, they acknowledged that they weren't strong enough to make the trip without God. When we take time to put God first in anything that we do, we are preparing well. We are doing good. We're preparing well for whatever lies ahead because we don't know. That's the thing we got to consider. We don't know the dangers that lie ahead for us. We see this illustrated in Joshua chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, as the people were preparing to cross the Jordan. Listen to what it says there. When you see, Joshua said, When you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests and the Levites burying it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Yet, notice, yet there shall be a space between you and it. That is, you are to, you know, to not get right up on the Ark of the Covenant. There's, a supposed to, there, there's to be a space between you and the Ark of the Covenant. He said about 2,000 cubits by measure. He's, here's what he said. Do not come near it, that you may know the way by which you must go, because you have not passed this way before. You see, Ezra knew God's promises he made to protect his people, but he didn't take them for granted. He also knew that God's blessings are received through prayer. So Ezra and the people humble themselves by fasting and praying. And we see in verse 23 and verse 31 that their prayers were answered. Fasting humbled them. Why? Because going without food reminded them we are totally dependent upon God. Fasting also gave them more time to pray and to meditate upon God. Too many times we pray superficially. On the other hand, serious prayer requires concentration. It puts us in touch with God's will and it can really change us. Without serious prayer, we lower God to be not, not much more than, than kind of a, a first aid station, you know, with a bunch of aspirins and band-aids for all of our needs instead of really getting what we need to fix the situation. Ezra, Ezra said in verse 22, you know, I went before the king and told him that the hand of our God was with us and that he'll be against our enemies and he'll lead us back to our land. But then he looked around at the huge group that was following him, that was going with him, that was by the river, uh, that were ready to go with him on this dangerous trip. He looked at all the, he looked at the families, he looked at the women, he looked at the children, he looked at the elderly. He thought about the dangers that they were going to encounter along the way. And the normal thing would be, hey, king, how about you know, sending a few troops with us to, you know, to watch us along the way and protect us from you know, any desert marauders? You know? But he thought, then the king would say, well, you just told me you're trusting in the Lord. You see, sometimes we talk very spiritual about how we're trusting in God and how wonderful he is and how we know everything is in God's hands. But when we get right down to it, we really lack faith sometimes in trusting him. Ezra is that kind of person. It shows us that he's human, like you and me. He said in verse 22, I was ashamed to request of the king an escort of soldiers and horsemen to help us. But again, what other options did he have? Well, he called a prayer meeting and a time to fast. He said, Lord, we just have to depend upon you. And you know, many times, <clears throat> the Lord puts many of us in that position. Ezra needed God's guidance and God's protection. And when we have a lot of responsibilities and they're heavy responsibilities, then there's th that's the greater need for prayer and fasting. But we don't do this enough. 
And when we don't do it enough, that's when the serious mistakes are made and, the, and disasters result. Because an army that's bogged down with women and children and the elderly, they would be a huge disadvantage in the battle. The men would be thinking of their families and they'd be distracted from the battle, hindering their ability to fight because they'd be worried naturally about their families. It's the same thing with our spiritual eyes. How helpless we are when we face our spiritual enemies. We need the hand of God to be upon us for good. Verses 24 through 30. And I separated 12 of the leaders of the priests, Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their brethren with them, and weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the offering for the house of our God, which the king and his counselors and his princes and all Israel who were present had offered. I weighed into their hands 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents and 100 talents of gold. 20 gold uh, basins worth a thousand drachmas and two vessels of fine polished bronze, precious as gold. And I said to them, you are holy to the Lord. The articles are, also, are holy also. And the silver and the gold are, are a freewill offering to the Lord God of your fathers, which watch and keep them until you weigh them before the leaders of the priests and the Levites and heads of the fathers' houses of Israel in Jerusalem in the chambers of the house of the Lord. So the priests and the Levites received the silver and the gold and the articles by weight to bring them to Jerusalem, to the house of our God. So after they fasted and prayed, before the group went, moved forward, Ezra made arrangements for the safekeeping of these treasures that he was entrusted with. And here we see the painstaking care, care that Ezra took to protect the treasure that God had entrusted him with, that belonged to God's sanctuary. Notice in this, God had commit, God, Ezra had committed the safekeeping of these vessels to God. What he does, he commits the safekeeping of them to the right people, to the right men. And their job was to watch it. But without God, they would have walked in vain. And notice that our prayers must always be followed by action. The gospel of Jesus Christ has been given to us. It's been entrusted to us. His church and his laws must not just be left with him, but they must also be committed to faithful men, Paul told Timothy. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. Now, we want the Lord to bring those that, that, that are in need. We want the Lord to bring those who are hurting, those who are lonely, those who are sick, those, those sinners. They, we want the Lord to bring them to our church. That's what the church is all about. It is, a, it is a place for sick people. What did Jesus say? Hey, a, 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 a well person doesn't need a doctor. What a wonderful desire and a wonderful prayer we should all have. But what are we doing about it? Do you think those people are just going to flock in here by the masses on their own? We have to go out and we have to bring them in. It's like, it's like you know, many times through the years I've heard people say, hey, you know, I, I'm, I'm out of work and, and I really need a job. So pray that the Lord will, will find me a job. And, and basically they're literally praying, Lord, find me a job. But they don't go out. 
They don't go, you know, doing the work to, to, to find the job and, and so that God can show them the job and, 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 you know, point it out to them. It's like they sit home and just wait for God like, hey, well, you know, I'm going to bring it and drop it off on your doorstep. We need to do something about it. So after praying to God to protect all the treasure that they had with them, Ezra shows that he's especially concerned for the items that belong to God's house and he was going to be making an offering to God with those things. Do we expect that God, by his providence, should protect what belongs to us? Yeah. Then let us, by his grace, protect what belongs to him. Let's make God's honor and interest our concern. Then we can expect that our lives and our comforts will be God's concern. Look at the people he delivered the treasures of God's house to. It says in 24 verse and verse 30, he said 12 chief priests. He gave them to the Levites. He appointed them to their trust. They were obligated by their position, who they were, to take care of the things of God. And they were in a special way to benefit from these sacred treasures. Ezra tells them why he entrusted him with those things in verse 28. Notice what he says. You are holy to the Lord and the articles are holy also. So who's more fit to take care of holy things than holy people? Those that have the privilege and the honor of the priesthood must have the trust and the responsibility that goes along with it. You know, if you're serving the Lord and, and you're serving him in the ministry, you have to have the trust and the responsibility of, 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 that goes along with it. Isaiah 52, 11, Isaiah said, Be you clean that bear the vessels of the Lord. Ezra expected to get everything back that he placed in these men's care. Verse 25 says he weighed the silver, he weighed the gold, and he weighed the vessels that he turned over to them because he expected to get the same weight back. With everything we are entrusted with, and especially those sacred trusts, we have to be accurate because one day we're going to give an account of everything that God entrusted us with. Those holy things that God put in our hands. Whether, whether it's a few things or many things, whether it's great things or small things, the Lord is going to want everything back. We saw that in 1 Corinthians 4 too. Paul said, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful, dependable. Jesus said in Luke 12, 48, When someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required of them. We're going to be accountable for how we use those things and for returning them. And if we're faithful, we will be given or we will be able to give an account to the Lord with joy on that day. In the parable of the talents, in Matthew 25, Jesus said this, after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. To some, Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. To another, he said, you wicked and lazy servant. Jesus gave them the responsibility to watch and to take care of the things of God. Why? So that they're not lost. So they're not misused or mixed up with other things. So that they would keep them together, to keep them separate, to keep them safe until you weigh them in the temple before the leaders. And he was suggesting how much it was their business, it was their duty to be careful and faithful and how honorable it would be if they were found to be so. 
So when Paul charges Timothy with a gospel treasure, he tells him, keep it, Timothy, until the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. And at his appearing before him, you will give an account of, your trust, of his trust when his faithfulness would be, in his, would, would be rewarded. Verse 31 through 36. Then we departed from the river of Ahava on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And the hand of our God was upon us, and he delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambush along the road. So we came to Jerusalem, and we stayed there three days. Now on the fourth day, the silver and the gold and the articles were weighed in the house of our God by the hand of Miramoth, the son of Uriah the priest, and with him was Eliezer, the son of Phinehas. With them were the Levites, Josabad, the son of Jeshua, and Noadiah, the son of Benui, with the number and weight of everything. All the weight, notice, was written down at that time. The children of those who had been carried away captive, who had come from the captivity, offered burnt offerings to the God of Israel. Twelve bulls for all Israel, ninety-six rams, seventy-seven lambs, and twelve male goats as a sin offering. All of this was a burnt offering to the Lord. And they delivered the king's orders to the king's satraps and the governors in the region beyond the river. So they gave support to the people and the house of God. Ezra now leads for Jerusalem. Like I said, it was about a four-month journey. But his group made his journey slow. We're told that his God was good. And Ezra acknowledged his goodness. He said again, the hand of our God was upon us. To stir us up. To strengthen us on our trip. To him, they acknowledged, first of all, that they were protected in their journey by God. He says, the Lord delivered us from our enemies. We weren't wiped out because God protected them from their enemies that were waiting to ambush them along the way that wanted to do them harm. In all of our journeys, we're obligated to bless our going out with prayer. When we do so, we go out, we're, we're to pray, Lord, be with me, watch over me, protect me. And then when we get to our place and we return, or we return safely, we're to give God praise and thanksgiving for our safe return. Secondly, note that they made it to Jerusalem safely, verse 32 says. Let those who have, who have steadfastly kept their eyes on, on the heavenly Jerusalem continue and persevere to the end until they stand before God. And they will see that he who has begun a good work will finish it. Also, his treasures were faithful. We see that his treasures were faithful. When they got to Jerusalem, they were more than ready to be relieved of that trust that was placed in their hands. They were more than ready to, to turn it over to the responsible men of the temple. They received it from them. They gave them a receipt received in full, according to verse 33 and 34. They wrote it all down. And on that day, when we stand before the Lord, the books are going to be opened and everything is going to be recorded and accounted for. And isn't it going to be a great relief when our work is done here and we've made it into the kingdom and to be released from the trust that has been given to us here as a believer and a great honor to know that it was faithfully carried out. Also, we see that his companions, Ezra's companions were dedicated as soon as they came near the altar, they felt responsible to offer a sacrifice for whatever they had done in Babylon. 
And it's clear that among their sacrifices, they made a sin offering. First of all, why? Because it's the atonement that makes things better, that sweetens and guarantees every mercy to us. That won't be truly comfortable until sin is taken away and we've made our peace with God. And then even the Jews' enemies became their friends, verse 36 tells us. And instead of hindering Ezra and God's people, their enemies helped them. So in closing, Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So let's never make a move without God. And let us always move with God. Father, Again, we thank you for this awesome chapter, Lord. So many wonderful things to glean from, God, to learn from. And God, help us to understand the importance of our our discipleship, God, with the Lord Jesus Christ and our gift to serve, to serve one another and to serve the the, the work of Christ. And that, God, we're, we're... We're in this all together, God. Lord, for the betterment of the kingdom and the body of Christ. We've all been given gifts, Lord. But may we use them for your glory and the betterment of the church. And Father, the greatest gift that anyone can receive is the gift of salvation. That's the first and and, and foremost gift that that we need to receive. Maybe you're here tonight and you've never received that gift. The gift of salvation. Free to you. But it costs Jesus everything. On that cross. The worship team is going to lead us in a time of worship and If you recognize your need for the gift of salvation. As we worship, you get up out of your seat. You make your way down the aisles towards the steps up front. And I'll meet you there. And when the song is over, we'll pray together a prayer of faith.